Welcome to the Natural Lifestyles Podcast with your hosts, James Marshall and Liam McRae, where we will be diving deep into the issues of modern masculinity, seduction, dating, lifestyle design, sexuality, psychedelics, you name it. This is the Natural Lifestyles Podcast. What's up, gentlemen? I just uh, came out from church because you all know what a devout religious person I am and uh, enjoying the lovely summer day in Budapest. Now, today what I wanted to talk to you about the interface between internal and external awareness. So you've no doubt heard me talk many times about the first principle. In terms of the five principles that I teach, awareness is the foundational and first principle. And everything that I teach is an extrapolation or an extension of that. Because if you're a person who's not very aware of yourself, and what I mean by that is you don't understand how your mental, emotional, and physical processes operate, what their triggers are, how they interrelate, and more importantly, you don't really have any control over them. If you're someone who is very unaware, you're in your head, you're in your own ideologies, you're in your own thought processes all the time, and you're not really able to interface with alternative viewpoints or to actually absorb information and stimulus objectively, this means that it's very hard to apply any other natural game principles. How do I apply the right amount of pressure on a girl and know when's the right, uh, the right time to release it if I'm not reading her signals? Because it's not like I say, apply pressure for six seconds, hold for three seconds, and then release pressure for five seconds uh, every 35 seconds within a conversation. Don't, no one wrote that, write that down, please. That's just a, a silly example. So because in real seduction or real interactions, everything is free form, you're dealing with all these unknowns and variables. The woman, you don't know her, you don't know how she's going to respond or react. She's not a robot, I'm sorry, so you can't press buttons and program her. Of course, there's patterns of human behavior and there's all sorts of uh, aspects of, you know, female sexuality and female nature that tend to be fairly consistent. But we're dealing with individuals and we're dealing with all sorts of variations which we don't have control over. How do we navigate through that? Well, the old school pickup answer to that was to have such a massive routine stack and all these techniques that you could have something ready for every scenario. Now, I don't think that's very realistic, and even if it is, it sounds like a whole lot of work to me. I don't want to have to memorize 67 variations on how to say hello. I just want to be able to project my intention and then respond and calibrate and adjust to the needs of the situation. And how do I do that? I do that through my awareness practice. So the truth is that there is, a, there is no delineation really between internal and external awareness. At the end of the day, it's just awareness. It's the, it's the permeation of this quality of experiencing life in a way that has way less filters uh, or masks or interpretations put on top of it. The truth is that none of us get to experience life completely objectively, right? Because we are limited by our sense organs. Okay, I can see, but there's all sorts of frequencies of light that I can't see, right? I can hear, but there's different types of sounds which I am not aware of because my sense organs just don't pick up on certain aspects. Of course, as you know, light's coming into my eyeballs, it's getting, it's getting filtered and rearranged and then interpreted by my brain and put back together into images. Is this actually the reality? that I'm experiencing or is it my interpretation of the reality? To some extent, we are limited by our sense organs. However, there is a massive difference between the way people experience life, right? So on one end of the spectrum, you can have somebody who has an incredibly rigid mindset that they've, let's say they've been brought up with, they've taught to believe that the world is this way, it was created by this deity in this many days, that, you know, 
men and women's natures are fixed and essential, that uh, you know, certain races are better or worse than others, or that this God is better than that God, or this, the teachings of this person or this tradition are totally sacrosanct and cannot be argued with. You know, you have someone with very, very extreme viewpoints. This means that they cannot be even close to objective, right? Because they already have very, very clear attitudes and opinions and judgments about certain things. So that if someone comes to them with a counter viewpoint, they shut it, shut it down. And we see this with all types of sectarianism or all types of isms where people are very, very committed to being a somethingist. And as a result, they negate all other possibilities. Or the only way they interface with them is by going to war with them to try and prove their own positions so that they get to feel awesome about being right. Which is nice to be right. It's, you know, it's, it's a nice feeling and, and people will chase that their entire lives. But in my opinion, what's more important than being right within a small subjective reality is to be able to allow much more of the actual truth or the objective reality in and to be able to interface, negotiate and communicate with it. This becomes incredibly important when we're looking at seduction, right? So on the base level, when I'm teaching awareness to people, it's firstly about you, right? So I take students out into parks on my workshops and we, we go through many of the, the techniques which I teach in the martial meditation methods. So these are mindfulness meditations, stretching and embodiment, different types of breath control. What happens is when you're first working with these, this level of internal awareness, what this allows you to do is to start to look at yourself without so many opinions, right? So to be able to turn, turn the lens back on yourself and to inhabit a different type of personality uh, or a different type of perspective. Because the problem is when I'm inside my brain and I'm thinking thoughts and I'm looking out through those thoughts, then it's very hard for me to separate myself from them, right? So it, it, it's, I get the experience that what it is that I'm thinking and this, this narrow viewpoint that I have is, my, is reality, right? It's my personal reality. Now, that could be fine if you were incredibly positive and like everything in your mind you interpret as that the world is trying to reward you for being so awesome. And I know people like that. Liam, Liam McRae is an example of that. This is a guy who has a lot of mindsets which objectively we would say are not true, <laughs> but subjectively they assist him, right? So he believes that when he's interacting with women that they all want to have sex with him or he interprets any misfortune that happens in his life right so he recently he had a situation where he tipped a tub of coconut oil onto the floor of a very expensive airbnb and as a result he had to pay something like five thousand euros to for them to rip up the floorboards and replace the floorboards so a total disaster right it's like just lost five grand because of one two dollar tub of coconut oil which we all have all around the house it is a it is a, uh, a hazard in the natural lifestyles, households, too many uh, open tubs of coconut oil, and this was bound to happen. Eventually, someone was going to get hurt, and those floorboards got decimated. So most people would complain about that for the rest of their life. Right? I would. I'd just be like, cool, that, I'm going to save that. Anytime I feel like having a good complain, I'd be like, let me tell you a story. Right? Back in the two early 20-teens, spilt some coconut, $5,000, which was a lot of money back in those days. Uh, yeah, I would be complaining to my grandchildren about that probably. For Liam, he's, he instantly was like reinterpreting that as this is, this is really good money mindsets because it's like I want to be so rich that it doesn't matter if I like knock over a tub of coconut oil on the hour. <laughs> uh, this was inspiration to him to, for a good reason to 
continue his effective money mindsets and to accrue wealth because knowing that as he goes and makes wins, which he does so often, that you're going to take hits along the way and that there's no risk-free life. So on the one hand, having delusionally positive mindsets, <laughs> this can be, uh, let's say, a useful thinking technology. However, what I think is more important is to be settling to more of an objective reality space. Right, so when I first am teaching meditation, I'm teaching it for the benefit of the, the student to start to understand himself better. What is it that triggers you? What, and when I say trigger, I'm not talking about it in some moralistic sense. I'm talking about, do you get activated? Right, so how, are, your, are your emotions volatile? Are there certain things that if a, a woman says to you or looks at you in a certain way that you crumble or you get really tense and stressed? The dreaded uh, approach anxiety is not a disease. It's not something that some people have and some people don't, that some people are just born naturally confident and able to interface with strangers and other people are, have this anxiety that kicks in every single time that they have to talk to a particularly an attractive girl. Approach anxiety, as I've talked about this many times, is a learned response. And it's something where we are misinterpreting signals, right? So you're getting, you're feeling the pressure or, and the expectation of needing to interact or communicate with a girl. You're very concerned and worry about her potential judgment, what she might think of you, what this means about your value as a man, right? So, so, so many of the times men give the authority to a woman to make a judgment and essentially decide whether you are fuckable or not, or whether you're a, a worthwhile male or not. We, th that's what you're doing every time you go up to a girl and you try and approach her and it doesn't go well and you feel this collapse and you feel bad about yourself and your worthiness your sense of manhood and your, your uh, you know, sexual desirability and so on, what you've done is you've given authority to a stranger who doesn't want it to make a, a snap judgment and then you have internalized that and taken it on board as truth, right? Which is kind of silly, right? Because if you went up to somebody on the street and you said, hey man, uh, I was just thinking about my tax return this year, I was wondering whether I should do this or this and he's like, uh, yeah, you should do that. You wouldn't, or, or I don't know, or, or do the opposite. You wouldn't be taking advice and taking, taking judgment from a random stranger about a topic that they had no knowledge on. So she doesn't know whether you are good in bed, whether you're an interesting person, whether you have an amazing heart and soul, whether you're a, you know, a demon in the bedroom or whether you've got some mad magic skills or whatever. She doesn't know that. All she knows is, okay, there's a random guy. I'm not interested in dealing with a random man right now or just from the look of him, I don't want to deal with this or I've got a boyfriend or I don't talk to guys on the streets. And then she blows you off and that's it. Now, when, you, when you're someone who is fairly balanced internally, you can let that roll off you. Now, I'm not saying that I am 100% unaffected by every rejection that I get, but if a girl harshly rejects me, I'll still feel things, right? So I will still have some kind of physical internal reaction. So the difference being that someone who has developed a sense of internal awareness and used meditative tools is able to be more calm under more circumstances, right? He's able to not be a slave to reactive, internal reactive behaviors. And what are internal reactive behaviors? Frustration, anger, depression, uh, you know, extreme embarrassment at situations that you don't have to be embarrassed at, feeling collapsing senses of fear and anxiety. Right, so I've, I've often talked about my opinion that the approach anxiety is not really anxiety. It's not a, a real sense of existential fear. Obviously humans have fear as part of our makeup for a very good reason because it keeps you alive when there's things you should be afraid of because you run away from them. But the truth is that it is not an existential threat for a girl, pretty girl to say, go away. Yet most men act as if it is. They have, you know, 
an exaggerated sense of fear. I remember really, really early on when I was first starting to dabble in teaching, I met this guy in a bar in Prague. He was an American fighter pilot. He'd flown combat missions in Afghanistan. So he'd risked death daily for his job. And we were chatting, we were at a bar, and I said, oh, let's go and talk to those girls. And he froze, like he's, he tensed, gripped, gripped the bar. And he's like, oh, dude, I can't do that. And I was like, what do you mean? We'll just go and talk to those chicks. He's, he's like, oh, man, that's really, that's really like pushing it. I said, dude, you are in war. Your job is to be in war where people want to kill you and you have to kill them. Like it's, it's literally <laughs> like you are dealing with death on a daily basis. And these chicks over there, and he's like, to be honest, I'd rather fly combat than go and talk to those girls. So, you know, that's, that's the, the level of, of absurdity that can happen is in terms of what's the objective risk uh, versus the objective reward, because we know that the possible objective reward of going and talking to a, a girl is, is that she might want to be your girlfriend, which could be cool, <laughs> or she want, might want to sleep with you or introduce her to her single friends. Uh, whereas the worst likely uh, thing that's going to happen is that she's going to tell you to go away or just kind of sniff in the air and, and walk on, right? So we know, like, logically, if you were a gambling man, you go, okay, that's a pretty good bet to do that compared to what's the, the risk. So the reason that I still have a job <laughs> is that even though I've told people this dozens of times uh, on all sorts of media, it still doesn't sink through to a lot of people. And so they, they seek our training because it's so difficult to make this jump from I get it logically to I, need, I can go and do it experientially. And my job over the last 10 plus years has been to try and figure out ways to convince men to go and do what they want to do anyway. <laughs> it's a, ways to trick and move through their resistances and their excuses and the big stories that they've created in their minds to get them to strip all that bullshit away and get it back to what is your instinct? What is your desire? What is your mission in life? Are you a fucking man? Are you alive? Are you going to go and take life by the balls and do something? Or are you going to sit on the sideline and wait to die? And I put it in those terms and I put it in gentle terms and I try and do it in every possible way. Uh, and it gets through, but can't be really thought through, right? Logically accepting this and going, yes, this is fucking right. I feel inspired. Uh, you know, I want to put all that stuff aside, my fears, my doubts, my limitations, and I want to go for what I want. I want to live a life of freedom. I want to live a life of choice. I want to live a life of abundance. Do you? Of course you do. So why don't you? Well, of course, there are steps you have to take. There's work, but the shortcuts to the work is understanding how do your resistances work. Of course, there are external challenges and resistances to anything you want to do. The world is not going to instantly adjust to your desires. So it's not like we can change everything, but we can certainly change our interpretation of life. And this is where we come into an understanding of awareness. So an internal awareness, which is where all the meditation techniques come into play, understanding yourself at a much deeper level. And then this tipping point or this interface point between the external world. How do those things relate and do they? Let's look at that. The first area I'd like to look at in terms of this interface between internal and external awareness is the sense of separation that you have. Now, human beings experience themselves as both separate from other people and the environment around them, and under certain circumstances or certain mindsets or certain experiences, they, can, they experience themselves as connected right, or, or part of. So everyone has had experiences of that. You may have been in a crowd at some point where everyone is 
at a soccer match or at a concert or a, or a speech or something where everyone is in agreement, everyone is enjoying, everyone is sharing in the energy of the band on stage or uh, you know the, the inspirational speaker or whatever it is and the sense of I am a discrete separate individual just by myself in this big city doing my thing is changed so that I feel I'm part of a group energy and, and I feel there is a connection between me, there's a common language between me and the other participants. We have a, a sense of belonging and, and of course this is a very very important thing and human beings need some sense of belonging and inclusion to feel good. Right, this is why we form ourselves into tribal units, into sports teams, into political units, into uh, all sorts of different divisions. And it's also why we seek out intimacy with our sexual partners and with our friends and with our family. Because we don't like, as a species, we don't like being completely separated from all people or from, uh, from everything else. We don't like just being by ourselves in our own solipsistic world. There are very few people, hermits or people who go off into retreats, uh, who don't want to interface with, with people and don't have a, a deep sense of lack or longing if they don't have it. So as human beings, as social mammals, uh, as community-based uh, organisms, and as spiritual beings in the sense that we are experiencing our life as some kind of narrative which hopefully has some sense of purpose. Okay, so I'm not talking specifically about being religious or about being... Uh, part of any specific tradition here. I'm talking about the, the experience of being human that's other than just the I get up, I feed, I fuck, I sleep, I fight. All right? So all of the other aspects that make us into something that's uh, less animal and, and you know, more of an evolved consciousness. So if on a very extreme level we have someone who is a, a, a sociopath or someone who hates people, misanthrope, uh, and doesn't want to have anything to do with them, that's not where most people are going to exist. But when you come to certainly living in big modern cities where I don't know any of these people, they don't know me, we tend to have a sense of separation, right? So it's me and the people I know, and then it's all this other stuff, all these other people around, and I feel separated from them. And I am. And, and we need to keep that separation in some sense, right? So like if I had to, like I, my father lives in a very small town in Australia, whenever I go there and you walk up and down the one main street, Every person gives you a little nod or says, hey, Peter, or hey, how's the truffles? Or, you know, he has to interact with every person. There's not many of them. <laughs> Maybe there's 20 on the street at any given time. But there is no cultural separation because they all know him, he knows them, and so you do have to interact with every person. People. It takes about an hour to get down the main street, which is all right if you do that, go into town once a week. Now, in a big city like this, of course, I can't interact with everybody. We, we deliberately set up uh, separations to navigate. When I go into the coffee shop in the morning, even though I've gone to that same coffee shop every morning for months, I am not that friendly, I have to be honest. I'm really a cunt in the morning, it's true. And uh, I'm not, <laughs> I have very deliberately, and if they ever watch this, I'm sorry guys, I know you're lovely, but it's like I've deliberately set up a separation because when I go in the morning to get coffee, I don't want to deal with people yet. I'm not in the mood for having a chat. And if I get to know that person who I see every day, then I'm gonna to have to every day when I walk in waiting for a coffee, you'd go, hey man, and have a bit of a chat. I don't wanna do that. <laughs> so my little bit of mythropy exhibits itself before coffee time. And I keep that, that division of like, okay, I'm a customer, you're the, you're the person serving me, I'm polite, but we're not gonna, and then they're like, of course they think I'm a fucking weirdo because they're like, this guy comes in every morning and acts like he's never seen us before. This guy needs to go into a social freedom expert or go and see a dating coach or some social coach just to learn how to do the basics of being friendly to somebody that you've known for months. Mm -hmm. True, very sorry, but in that situation, that's not what I do. <laughs> now, however, when I'm out 
and I have had coffee and I'm going out and I'm meeting people, I'm teaching or I'm going meeting girls, I'm very aware that the thing that's going to make this most difficult for me is if I perceive that person to be a completely separated other, right? That, 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 that we have no relationship, we have no connection, that that is a discrete separate individual. I'm over here and I'm going to come over and I'm going to try and negotiate something to get into their space, right? To get into, and I don't even know what that space is. I'm not thinking in terms of like, what is she thinking or feeling or what's it like being inside her body or what's, how does it feel if I come up to her really close or block her into a, the side of a wall or something. I'm not thinking that if I'm unaware, I'm thinking in, I'm inside myself and I'm going, okay, I feel afraid. I'm gonna, I've got to do that stuff. What am I supposed to do? And I come up and I start a conversation with the girl and it's like, I'm several layers away from her because I'm inside my thoughts. I'm feeding my thoughts. I'm getting involved in them and they're not, they're not positive. They're negative. And I'm, and I'm calculating and trying to figure out a way to solve this problem of how do I deal with this adversary or this other that's in front of me. And then I want to go from there to, hey, you look really lovely. What's your name? It's like I'm changing four different gears to get there because I have to like get out of my thoughts and then come back to here I am and then like think about what I'm going to say and put my hand out and shake it. And, and there's all these steps uh, that I have to go through to go from feeling separated completely away from this person to trying to start to create a connection. And people talk about this all the time in, in, in dating advice, you know, creating connections. What does that mean to create a connection? It means to remove the barriers that are in the way of you being connected. Because human beings have a tendency to connect with each other, not all, all the time, but it is part of what we do. We, we are able to communicate with strangers. Men and women are attracted to each other generally. Uh, and so it's not, it doesn't have to be such a big leap to try and bridge this gap. So this is where we look at the interface of internal-external awareness. If instead of me being six layers up into my thinking and my, and my stress and my anxiety and all this, if I am using my internal awareness to relax my physical body, to settle into the present environment, right? So, because right now it's like 32 degrees, really hot, and I can feel the breeze on my skin. Obviously, I can feel the temperature. I'm in a quieter part of the city now, finally. All the stag parties have gone off to lads, lads it up somewhere else. Uh, maybe we should start making compilation videos of lads coming in and trying to like do annoying James Marshall. So, there's a certain vibe. Right? And, I, and I hate to use the word vibe because it's such a cop-out hippie word, isn't it, man? It's just like, you've just got to like feel the vibe and people are, half the people switch off. So let's not call it vibe, but there is an atmosphere, right? When I'm in the middle of a crowded city, of course, there's an atmosphere because there's so much movement, so much thinking, so much jostling, all these people who are not interacting with, with each other, but are like obstacles to each other. And so, you know, it creates a certain type of, of crowd tension or excitement or a liveliness. Right, and then we move into a, I don't know, let's say you walk into a chilled tea shop and people are sitting there reading their books and sipping tea and quietly working on their computers. Of course, this has a different atmosphere. It, it, the, the, the space becomes infused. And I don't think that's just hippie nonsense. I think that we infuse spaces with energy, right? So if you've ever been to a, a, you know, a place of great horrors, Auschwitz or some place where awful shit has happened, there is a sense that this, this place has got some fucking vibration here of all of the pain that's happened. If you're, in a, if you're in a crowd that gets hyped up over time at a concert, for example, at first we're all just like people standing here. I came here to see Beyonce. I never went and saw Beyonce. I would totally. If anyone wants to give me two tickets to go and see Beyonce, I'll go. Why not? But let's say you're at the Beyonce concert and everyone's like lined up and they're there. And then Beyonce comes on and does her thing and fucking shakes it and does her badass booty stuff. 
and people get involved. There's, a, there's an energy that's created individually and then it bounces off each other and everyone's hyped up. Next thing you know, people are crowd surfing and throwing their panties or their jock straps at Beyonce and it's, a, it's awesome, right? And then you come away from that experience feeling not just enlivened by the performance that you saw, but the whole group energy, the infusion of this energy. That's what you're attempting to do one-on-one -on -one when you meet a girl on, on the street or wherever is to, create, is to allow the barriers of separation, which are the, I don't know you, I'm scared of you, I'm worried about what, you, what you're gonna think about me and how you're going to judge me, I'm concerned about my worthiness as a man, she's worried about uh, you know, whether she's in danger or whether this is embarrassing for her or maybe she doesn't know what to say. There's all these, extra, these things going on in my world, in her world, they're not interfacing and they're causing us to have disruption. So, true effective practical meditation techniques allow you to minimize these barriers so that if I'm not up in my head thinking all this nonsense and I'm in the environment, right? So my awareness has gone from being in, internal to now the, the, the surface of my skin. And where does my skin and the atmosphere end? Well, I'll just presume it doesn't. And then I allow myself to kind of feel out into the environment. Again, does that sound like hippie nonsense? Maybe, but try it. See what it's like to, you know, imagine or just like permeate through the ground and into the atmosphere and into the other person and, and allow your senses to move that far. Because if that's, even if that's not actually happening on a scientific level, it's a really good attitude to have because it allows for the dissolution of separation. What is it, you know, that's so compelling about a man and a woman getting together and fucking each other is that's this dissolution of the feeling of separateness. It's the going into somebody else or blending with somebody else to have a, a shared pleasure and shared communion. Right? And where, do you, where does your body end and hers begin? Is it my hand touching her or is it touch being experienced by my hand and her body? Right? So if I see myself as separate, and this extends on from you know, into the seduction, if you're going on a date with a girl, you're back home with her and you're trying to get her into bed. That's, that's an attitude of separation. That presumes that she's different from me, she wants, I want something, I need to get her to do this thing, so I need to convince this separate human being to like do something so that I can then have pleasure using her body, right? That's a pretty disgusting way of looking at sex. And uh, like, what kind of pleasure could you get from that even if you do get to have sex with her? As opposed to, can we dissolve her fears, uh, you know, my anxieties, uh, allow these things to start to evaporate and just come together as humans touching, as humans looking each other in the eyes without judgment, without projection. Or if the projection is there, it's a very simple and powerful interactive projection. I project, I want you. She projects, come get me. <laughs> you know, I project, like, relax and be safe with me and, and be in this moment. And she projects, maybe she has some resistance and she shows that I'm not ready, I'm a bit scared for that. And then we have to interact with, with her current level of stress. And so I, I, I learn to negotiate. I negotiate in the sense that I feel you and then I adjust to make you feel better or to make you feel more comfortable, right? So that we two together can feel amazing as this unit that we're combining, right? So this is a way that meditation goes from being something that is a solo practice that is designed for your benefit. And this goes from being a solo practice, very important aspect to uh, developing yourself as a human being, to becoming more self-aware, more relaxed, more at ease with yourself. Okay, so this is done in your solo practice it becomes something that is a practice of connection. And in my opinion, like, well, in my experience, my meditation benefits went through the roof when I stopped, when I, when I wasn't only doing it as a meditator in, you know, sitting on a cushion, but when I was really learning that, okay, meditation is a way for living. It's not 
necessarily just something you do for 20 minutes a day. It is a way of experiencing life. And that's not a, that's not, I'm not talking about that in a waffling esoteric term. There's a difference between experiencing life with your monkey mind narrating the whole thing and inevitably taking you down all sorts of tangents of worry and anxiety and fantasy and all of that kind of shit through to having an experience where there are way less filters between you and the outside world, right? So that as I'm walking down the street, if I'm present, and present is not a word or a bu it's not a buzzword or like, an a, like a thing I, I agree with, it's a practice. Presence is I can feel my feet, I can feel the temperature, I can feel my internal space, I can see thoughts going through my mind and I can hopefully step back from them and allow them just to drift through rather than identifying with them. Then that means when I see a girl and I go, hi, I'm, I'm reacting to my instinct. My instinct is like the stimulus of like, I'm attracted to her and therefore I want to start something with her, I want to at least introduce myself, is a very simple process. It's like, hot girl, I want to speak to her, hello. Right? As opposed to, hot girl, oh shit, what does that mean? And uh, should I stop her from the front or behind? Oh, she looks kind of like one of those bitchy girls who's probably not going to like me and all of this stuff by now. You know, how deeply am I into my layers of thought? This is really not a good place to be going and talking to a girlfriend. Instead, I want to be able to reach out and minimize the distance. And then, okay, this is not just for the first 10 seconds or the hello, this is throughout, ideally throughout my relationships with everybody. Do you have a friend or somebody you know who when you're talking to them, they just kind of vague out and space off and then you can tell they're just waiting for their turn to talk? Have you ever been on a date with a woman who just talks incessantly about herself, doesn't ask you a single question about yourself, and then uh, you know swipes through Instagram uh, when you're talking? Right. So these kinds of people are abrasive. Uh, they're not good to be around. They're totally unaware of anyone else, or they don't give a shit. They're not trying to make a connection, and therefore you feel separated from them. Unfortunately, if the girl is very attractive, men will put up with that and encourage that really, encourage that kind of behavior because they want to have sex with us so they'll put up with anything. You as a normal male will not get away with that. If you're abrasive and don't listen and are off in your head all the time and distracted all the time, people won't want to spend time with you because you, they don't want to have sex with you just because you're hot, unless you're really hot, like that last guy, maybe they want to do it with him. But, um, so the point is this, is, this is like an integral seduction skill. This is not, I don't really see this as optional. I don't really know how anyone could get really good with women without developing internal awareness. Now, not everyone develops it using the martial meditation method. I know people who are just very aware people because they've always been fairly sensual or because they are into dance or movement or lots of exercise, uh, or they're just really curious about people. And so they always wanted to like have deep and meaningfuls and get to know someone deeply. So it's not that the only angle in there is through this one meditation method, but this from, in my experience has been the best way, especially for people who are kind of introverted. Right, so my, my natural tendency is not to just walk up to everybody and you know get to know everybody and be super social. I'm not extroverted. Uh, I've taught myself to be to be effectively extroverted in the sense that I can I can step out of my shell. I can connect by minimizing these barriers. Right, so removing this distance that uh, you feel like you have. I'm only that far away from the girl, but it feels like I'm a million miles away because I'm so deeply in my own complicated thought structures that I've invested all this time developing and I'm attached to. Make no mistakes, you are attached to your limitations, you are attached to your excuses, your lies, your bullshit, because they give you a sense of identity, they keep you safe in some sense, because they're like, oh, I don't deal with that because that doesn't work, or my belief is that women only like men in this circumstance, so we don't even need to investigate that. It's the same thing as someone who's super religious, just 
following blindly what the church says and say, oh, okay, the world was created in six days, good, I don't need to think about that anymore. Anyone comes and goes, hey, what about dinosaurs? They're like, mm, God testing my faith. And then we don't have to deal with that, right? And every, um, trash the Christians and, and then just plug in the stupid example from every other faith and you'll get my general uh, view on organized religion. So what we want to be able to do is when we walk up to a woman on the street or wherever you meet her, you want to give yourself the best, her, her and you the best chance to meet each other as raw individual human beings, right? Without all of the layers of culture and fear and all that stuff overlaid. Of course there will be, everyone, it's not like you're ever gonna exist in this like absolute natural state where you're in a garden of Eden and you're just uh, in pure presence, but you can certainly reach those states with partners, right? And I've seen masters like Travel Bum walk up to a girl on the street and silently pick her up because in those situations, and I've had those two, I haven't had exactly that, but situations where you stop a girl and you speak and there is a, an electricity and a spark because both of you have dropped, even just momentarily, dropped all of the other narration and you're just purely experiencing each other, right? You're looking into her eyes, she's looking into yours, but it doesn't feel like I am James and these are my eyeballs and I'm staring at, there's some eyeballs and then there's a woman attached to them. It feels like it's awareness being aware of awareness. It's presence being aware of presence. It's in this moment, there is no separation. I'm not conscious of myself looking at you. I'm just conscious of the gaze. You know, it's like I'm, I'm, I'm drinking you in, but there's, it's not even me. It's just like pure experience drinking somebody else in. That's magic, right? That's where connection happens. You know, when we're talking about, okay, I need more connection in my game. What are, what are the steps that I do? What are the techniques? Well, no, it's, it's, it's really the reverse of that. It's like remove techniques, remove thought processes, remove planning and logistics and, and strategy and come back to, okay, here I am. And of course, there will, that's, that can just be a neutral space, right? So I could, I could eye gaze with a man, woman, dog, doesn't matter, and just stare and then we can have a connection, right? It won't be infused with sexuality necessarily. It'll just be two people observing and being and holding space for each other, which is a really cool thing to do. Try it with a friend of yours. Look in each other's eyes. You can blink, you can laugh, anything that comes up, but you can't break eye contact. And do it for five minutes. And try not to project anything. Just allow yourself to look deep into the black of that person's eyes and stay there. It's a fascinating experience. Most people never do that in their life, ever. Or maybe with a, like a really intense lover once or something. But uh, you know, to actually settle in this space and like have this unbroken, unfiltered observation of each other it starts to lead to states where you don't feel like there's a separation. It can have this bizarre feeling of like, what is the I that is looking at the you? As opposed to it's just like, consciousness observing each other or, or observing itself. And this is the kind of attitude and the kind of state that I like to carry with me when I'm, when I'm interacting with women. And that's what I'm trying to teach people to do. Anyone can teach you cool lines, right? You know, there's a million, like at this point, there's nothing new to be invented, right? And anyone who keeps coming up with an, you know, day game is dead. Something, something is the new game or, you know, what, the, what you, what used to work doesn't work, and now we've got the new technology. Like that's really, it's just marketing and it's, it's repackaging, respinning stuff, which is fine. I know that people are gonna make a living and, and also saying something in a different way or using different metaphors or it's coming from a different angle. Sometimes the same information will be absorbed by six different people differently depending on how it's delivered. So cool, keep putting out YouTube videos, everyone. But it's not like we're, any of us are now coming up with new inventions, really. Uh, I look at 
TNL as like the Le Levi's of the seduction industry, right? It fits, they're comfy, they look cool, they're always going to be cool. It always works, right? Because we're not looking at adding a new fancy technique or like, what, or what does this new technology mean? Okay, yeah, sure, we'll, we'll see what Tinder does or what new, or how smartphones are affecting the way that people interact and, and so on. Yeah, we're aware of the cultural zeitgeist and, and changes, gradual cultural changes. But at the core of it, underneath that, underneath all of this modern technology and culture and whatever, fashion and so on, is human beings who have a deep sense that they wish to connect with each other, sexually and friendship-wise and family-wise and community-wise. And women, if they're not in love or they don't have great lovers in their life already, are looking for that, unless she's you know, really heartbroken or she's having a break or something. She's generally open and, and needs it, right? She needs you. Maybe not you, but like a version of you. Maybe the guy next to you, but she needs men. You know, to feel alive, to, to be uh, erotically activated, to have orgasms, to feel loved, to experience her femininity in relation to a masculine force. Because she, doesn't, she experiences that most when it's in contrast with this different element of experience, right? The male or masculine uh, experience of life and the female or feminine experience of life, although we have those elements in each other. And of course, there's a lot of a lot of variation with people with different genders and orientations and identifying and all, all that stuff. But, you know, overall, I'm looking at heteronormative man who is attracted to woman, woman who's attracted to man, and those things exist as potential space. Do you need to generate attraction? This is the last point I want to leave you with here. Do you need to generate attraction? Because that's, that's often the way people talk about it. I, uh, they, you know, a student will write to me and say, oh, you know, I had this girl and I built some attraction and, you know, it was flirty or whatever. And then we went for a walk and then I could just suddenly feel the attraction going. And then I was like, shit, what do I do? And I tried to do this thing to build the attraction and then I lost the attraction. Now, I don't think that's a good way to look at it. Look at it like this. The potential for men and women to be attracted to each other is always there. Not all women or to all men all the time, but overall that is a potential force, right? It's like a force of nature that is there ready to express. Your job is to remove the damn wall, right, that separates you and her, so that the attraction that you naturally could feel for each other is allowed to express, right? And so therefore, there's lots of things I can do that I know is going to most likely trigger or release her attraction, right? So, you know, if I go up and I speak too fast and I ask lots of questions and I'm bumbling and fumbling and then I like weirdly ask her for a, not a date, but to come and like, you know, read that book that we both liked, I'm not releasing any attraction, but potential attraction, because these are things that are not attractive to a woman. Right? This is, it's not like about I'm gen generating or not generating attraction. I'm just like away from the area where women, a woman could be attracted to. If I come in and I'm super friendly and I show no sexual intention and I only talk about pleasant topics and I'm really agreeable, you know, what am I releasing? There I'm, there I'm allowing like two people to feel nice around each other and they're a, a, a kind of friendly attraction like you might have when you're on a on a bus and the old lady starts talking to you about her life and you feel warmth to her and you have a sort of a sense of connection and understanding but there's not attraction right <laughs> probably not so in the situation where i come and my projection is i feel sexual i feel masculine i look at this woman in that way and because i'm super aware of myself and aware of my surroundings i can see if i you know give her a little look in the eyes and i go hey excuse me and i see that she her eyes open and she uh, gives something back, I have allowed that little bit of attraction. She's just walking along the street, minding her own business, and then suddenly psh, she, the, the potential attraction she has for men is released in that direction because that guy gave me a sexy look and said, hey, excuse me, right? Now, it doesn't mean it's gonna stay there. 
right? Of course, I could then do a bunch of things that would then kind of reseal that, that wall and then she's going to go, oh, I was into that guy, but, you know, then I, I just didn't feel it or the spark kind of something and then she moves on, okay? That's normal. That happens as well. So in terms of seduction, that's why seduction is not about the five, ten minutes when you pick the girl up or, or even up to the bedroom. Seduction is, is, is like the, the, the lifetime of the relationship that you're going to have with this girl, whatever that, whatever that is going to be. Because the reason, I mean, one of the reasons why relationships then reach points where they're no longer attracted is because walls have then come up, right? So we've then replaced barriers and now she's like, that potential to be attracted or to feel sexual or connected to a man in that way is now dissolved because there are different barriers in place, whether that's trust issues or neglect or boredom or the fact that you know the sexual spark is not there because there's no variation or because you're just doing the same three positions every time or because all you do now is sit on the couch and watch Netflix together and fuck on Wednesdays and that is no longer like tickling and and arousing her feminine aspects right so it's like seduction is not an optional skill because even if you get a girlfriend some other way good luck keeping her or good luck keeping her wanting to be with you if you don't know how to seduce because what is it? What does that mean? It's like it's not about tricking her or like getting her into bed. That's not seduction. That's just like something that happens along the way as we as we're being seductive and we're we're having a seductive relationship. Is that inevitably we want to fuck each other and then something else happens, right? So it's it's not so much about just that time. It's about okay, I have an I have an experience of trying to continue to remove barriers to continue to keep this polarity and this charge of these different aspects, right? My experience of being an aware conscious being and hers being an aware conscious being infused with our gender and our sexuality, which then allows for this, you know, beautiful explosion that makes us excited and creates most of the pleasure and joy that's possible in life. So wrapping all this up in some kind of conclusion, which I'll invent right now. <laughs> the point I'm trying to make here is that I t I've, I've learned and taught meditation for the last I don't know, 10 to 20 years. If you'd look at all of my practices, and it's without a doubt been the thing that has helped me the most in my life. From being a young, angry, cynical, up in my head, depressed, you name it, young man, to over time, dissolving and resolving and evolving those aspects of myself. Not that they don't exist. You, you, know, you can see I get a bit irritated if like five stag parties in a row come and put a hat on me. Uh, it's not that I'm like a Zen Buddha, but it's that it takes a lot to, to throw me. And especially with women. It's like in seduction, it's like... I've, I've desensitized myself to some extent just by doing it, and there is something to be said for that. You have to meet enough women, and that means a dozen at least a week. At least a week. If you're not meeting 12 women a week, you're not practicing. You are not. Right? You're, all you're doing is researching. So research is okay. You know, if I want to go and learn some new thing, I'll research it for a while, but then I'll go out and do a course, or go out and start practicing it, or find a mentor and get that shit happening. The reason why you maybe, or many of you out there, are not doing that is not because of the lack of technical knowledge. You guys know how to do a preframe, how to do a direct opener, the basics of conversational mechanics, how to fucking close in a way that's convincing. All the nuances of, uh, you know, uh, objection handling and uh, contributing and connecting in ways that the girl really re responds to and uh, mirroring body language and all that extra stuff which like increases your percentage points. Good, that's all technical stuff which you can improve. Some teachers do it better than others. But the reality is that you don't need more pickup information. 
right? What you need is a sense of like getting up and going, I'm gonna go and do this today, I like doing this. Or even when I don't enjoy the thing, I enjoy the process overall. I mean, I'm enjoying the fact that I'm growing and changing. I'm enjoying the fact that I get to interact with strangers. Yeah, I'm enjoying the fact that I get ir irritated by some dudes who came over and talked to me uh, and wearing fucking tutus because that's a good experience in life. Right? So I get to absorb more out of life. For you gentlemen out there who are wanting to improve your skills with women, you have to clean your house first. You have to get your shit in order. Not, no, you don't need to get your shit completely in order before you go out, but you need to have some tools to start getting yourself in order because just going out is a big mess of anxiety and fears and resentments and red pill reactivity or any of this stuff that separates you from women will make life harder. That's why I come down hard on the red pill community. A lot of the technical things they say about, you know, that women do will follow these patterns. Yeah, so what? Who gives a fuck? Yeah, women will fuck up. Yeah, women will choose to be with men that have got better status and stuff. Yeah, okay, so what? If I, if I now embed this ideology as like, okay, I've discovered this dirty secret about women and, and, and they're, they're doing this thing over here and, and we men need to be aware of that and we need to be careful and we need to be at war with them. I've just put extra layers between me and her. All right, I've, I've, forced the, I've forced what could have been a love story, you know, or an erotic moment or a connection between two strangers into something political, right? into, into an adversarial competition, into something that, that ties in a whole lot of elements that don't need to be there. It just needs to be about you and her in that moment. And you need to have tools to get there. I'm a lazy seducer. I don't want to have to do a thousand approaches to get a girlfriend or to get a lover or to, you know, meet someone new. I want to be able to see someone I like, feel my instinct, go over there and dissolve as many barriers as I can between us so that we've got a really good chance of seeing each other as we are, right? The actual humanity, the actual feminine and masculine essence. The barriers between us being attracted can just dissolve and the waters can blend together. Right? That's when seduction can become what appears to be effortless or when it just feels really alive, when I'm not working anymore, I'm not like, uh, what do I say next, what do I do next? It's that there is a flow and then her feminine essence is activated and then she starts to contribute. Right? So it's not me doing the, the work every single time and like trying to convince the girl that I'm cool or that I'm worthy, it's that we have an, uh, an expression and an experience of seducing each other because she brings in her parts, her flirtatiousness, her sexuality, her encouragement, her stories, you know, what she contributes. And so do I in, in, in these complementary ways. And so therefore, of course, we want to be together because it feels so awesome. It feels natural. It makes sense. We are combining. We are connecting on a very real, almost atomic level. Is that the way you want to have seduction? It sounds good, doesn't it, when I put it like that? <laughs> it is, it's way better than seeing this as like an endless grind of work, work. I need to just go out and work, try and convince some chick, hustle some chick to try and get in bed with me so I can just feed this monster and it never ends. That sounds way too hard. I'm not saying meditation is easy. It's easy to learn, it is very difficult to master. And the, and the lessons go deep, deep, deep. Like the first things you learn in meditation just about watching how your mind is untrained is not where it ends, there's many, many layers. And I encourage you to take, take the journey and take those as many layers as you can. This is James Marshall signing out. Lads, lads, lads. Thanks so much for listening to the Natural, Natural Lifestyles Podcast. Podcast. Check us out on YouTube at The, the Natural, Natural TV. TV. See you on the next episode.